If you have a Bible with you, open up to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, we're going to start in 12 and then we're going to shift to chapter 15 today as we continue uh, through Genesis in our series called A Family for the World. Uh, so last week, God, we saw that God created a good world for humanity to thrive, right? He set the stage for Adam and Eve to have a good life. He gave them everything they could ever need and, and want and, and to live according to his design for them, which was for them to bring glory to his name by filling the earth with his image as they reproduced and multiplied and moved around the globe. Adam and Eve had everything they needed, yet they still had this temptation from a serpent, from Satan, to want more, to try to find more than what God gave them, to answer to no one but themselves. In other words, what Adam and Eve had that God gave them, that was not enough for them. And so they brought sin into the world. And that completely devastated everything. It really did. It ruined everything. It ruined the human heart. It, it, it ruined every part of this world in terms of now everything is affected by the curse of sin. But God made a promise in Genesis 3. Before the Garden of Eden scene is even over, God makes a promise that He will deliver a final blow to this serpent who brings this temptation and presents this evil to humanity that an offspring, a descendant of Adam and Eve will one day crush this serpent's head. That there will be a person descended from Adam who will rise up and defeat sin and death once and for all. And so history continues on with the descendants of Adam and Eve wandering and, and, and just wondering when and, and where and who this descendant will be. When will evil be defeated? But the world continues on and history moves on and, and evil grows and wickedness spreads and becomes and the world truly becomes quite a terrible place to live until God chooses a man named Abram. And that's where we started last week. Genesis chapter 12. I want to read verses 1 through 3 again, which set the stage for this great story of this man named Abram and his family. And then I want to pray for us and ask the Lord to bless his word. So would you join me in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are thankful that you are a God who keeps his word. Lord, we are thankful that you promised that an offspring of Adam would one day be born in this world, rise up, and defeat sin and death once and for all. Lord Jesus, we know that you, that you are that great descendant, that you are the offspring. Lord, I pray that as we see this story unfold, 
that you would tune our hearts into who you are and what you are doing in this world, that you would change our lives as we see that we, the church, we now are the family of God for the rest of this world to see your light. Would you help us to see this great picture that you have painted, this great story that you are telling, this reality that we're a part of? Would you shape our hearts to know it and believe it today? It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I'm a, I'm a big podcast guy. Um, I have a lot of different podcasts that I like to listen to, mostly when I'm in the car uh, driving around town. And uh, one of my all-time favorite podcasts is called How I Built This. How I Built This. The host, his name is Guy Raz. What a cool name, Guy Raz. Um, but he's an excellent host. What he does, so he, he interviews different entrepreneurs who have uh, been greatly successful in starting their own business, and that business started with almost nothing, right? They had no money, uh, they had very little investment, and, but they had a big vision. And that big vision uh, took them places, right? And so he's interviewed uh, the, the founder of all kinds of companies, anything from 1-800-GOT-JUNK, which is a fascinating story, by the way, uh, I need to call them, um, to Five Guys, the burger place, to the guys who created Airbnb. I mean, who knew? Who knew that you could become a billionaire just by managing strangers sleeping in strangers' houses? I mean, who knew, right? It's crazy. Um, and then Wikipedia. He, he interviewed the guy who invented Wikipedia, which I didn't even know, but apparently Wikipedia was invented by one person. I thought we were all just kind of helping out, you know? But um, at the end of these podcasts, he, he always asked the same question to all of these founders of these great businesses and companies that have become so familiar to us. He always asked them this question. He says, how much of this success was luck and how much was your hard work? Or as some people would say, how much of this was fate, you being in the right place at the right time, versus determination and your actual skill at the job? And you know what's really interesting is almost all of them, they answer this, the question the same way. They say, you know, it was really a little bit of both. It was some luck, but there was also a lot of hard work. But you know, I, I think that when we think about the Christian life, that often we kind of have this same question, even if we're not honest or, or willing to admit it. We think about our Christian life and we, we say, how much, of, how much of me walking with the Lord is God and how much of it is me? How much of this whole Christian experience is, is the Lord just leading me and guiding me to where I need to be? And how much of it is dependent on my obedience? Because here's the thing, right? We are told, we are told that God is in control of all people and all circumstances. And He is. That's true. That there's nothing outside of His power and His rule. But at the same time, we're also told that we have personal responsibility and we have a choice to obey God or not and that based on that choice there will be consequences to our actions positive or negative we're told that God is the author of salvation and that he draws people to himself and that is true but at the same time we're also told that we must repent and believe 
We must repent of our sin and put our faith in Christ for salvation. So the great questions of our faith, the great question of how God's sovereignty and human responsibility correspond to one another, that has boggled the minds of theologians for millennia. This is a question that we are still talking about and discussing. No one has neatly packaged a perfect answer as to how God's control of all things and our personal responsibility, how do those things go hand in hand? You see, there appears to be an apparent paradox, right? This is what we call a paradox. So a paradox is when two things seem to be contradictory, but after further investigation, after looking a little closer, both things are proven to be true. But let me tell you that what I believe with all my heart that the scriptures teach us is that there is a mystery here that we cannot fully comprehend. There is a mystery that we are not meant to understand, and that's perfectly okay. It's okay for us as God's creatures, to not know exactly how the omnipotent creator God operates. If we knew everything God knew, we would be God. So it's okay for us. There's only one God. It's okay for us to not understand completely how this mystery weaves together in God's omniscient power, in his all-knowing power, in his all-knowing wisdom, how his sovereignty and our obedience are related. You see, today and next week, so this is going to be a two-part sermon within this series. Today and next week, we're going to see this paradox at work. We're going to see the truth of God's sovereignty, that He is the ruler of this world. He has the final word. But we are also going to see the need for His people's obedience. And to see this, we're going to pick up back with this man named Abram that God spoke to in Genesis 12. Now I want you to turn over to Genesis 15, and we're going to have it on the screen for you as well. Genesis 15. So I want to walk through this story and then discuss it at the end, all right? So Genesis 15, beginning in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So we don't have time, unfortunately, today to unpack everything that happens between Genesis chapter 12 and chapter 15, but here's what you need to know. A lot goes on in Abram's life between 12 and 15, but here's what we need to know. In chapter 12, the Lord declares he will make Abram's family into a great nation, right? That's what he promises Abraham in Genesis 12. We talked more about that last week. But in 15, as we're about to see, there's one giant piece missing to that puzzle. Abram doesn't have any children and his wife is barren. There is no offspring. There is no child. So Abram says in verse two to God, but Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. 
and a member of my household will be my heir. Right? So several years have passed since God first chose Abram, right? Back in chapter 12. And now Abram is apparently having some doubts over these years. God said, I will turn you into a big family and a great nation, but there's no children. Verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if, you're, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. What is God telling Abraham? God's telling Abram this, I have not forgotten my word. It will come true. You just need to trust me. That's what God is telling Abram in this moment. And so what is Abram's response? Look at verse 6. And he believed. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, that statement alone, verse 6, is one of the most crucial statements in the whole Bible for understanding the relationship between God's sovereignty and human responsibility, specifically and especially in regards to our salvation. What role does God play? What role, if any, do we play? But we're going to really zone in on that verse next week, all right? But just hold that in your mind. But the bottom line for now is that Abram believed we see faith. We see trust. Abram believed God's word. He took him at his word. He had real faith in this moment. Verse 7. God continues to speak to Abram. Here's what he says. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now, what in the world is happening here? <laughs> Like in our modern minds, there has been a great slaying on Old McDonald's farm. You know what I mean? This seems odd to us and doesn't make any sense to us. But it made perfect sense to the Israelites. Remember, Genesis was written to them. Moses wrote Genesis under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as the Israelites are wandering around the wilderness after leaving Egypt. This is their story. This is their heritage. This is their family that they need to know about. They need to know where they stand with God Almighty, the one who created them and loves them and has a plan for them. So when they hear that these animals are being sacrificed in this way, they know in the ancient world that this was something very special. You know what this is? It's a ceremony. A ceremony is taking place. Theologian uh, and my former seminary professor, Tom Schreiner, says this. He says, walking, walking between the cut-up parts of animals was a means of staking one's life on faithfully adhering to covenant terms. 
This signified the curse that would come upon them if they broke the covenant. In other words, this was a, an ancient ceremony where you cut the animals, you lay their parts apart like this, and you walk between them, and that symbolizes, that says that I am taking responsibility for this covenant. A covenant is being made. An agreement, a responsibility is being made between me and you, but it's all on me, right? That's what is happening in the ceremony. Let's keep, let's keep reading to see well, how this pans out. Verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. So he's having somewhat of a nightmare, right? Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God is telling Abraham in this dream, this vision, that there is a future, but the future is going to not happen without great trouble. He is letting him know that this great redemptive plan that he's now a part of to redeem the world, it's not going to happen without great difficulty and sacrifice and bloodshed. Redemption will not come to the world easily. But God will rescue his people. Verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Now what is happening there? A smoking pot, something smoking and something on fire is going between the body parts of those animals in this ritual, this ceremony, between the animals. You see, if you're familiar with the Exodus story, God just predicted or just told Abram that his family would grow into a nation, but they would be enslaved in Egypt and then delivered and rescued. But do you know, do you know how God led them out of Egypt and through the wilderness? With a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire that represent the presence of God. And so now you see the presence of God moving in this ceremony between these animals, and it is foreshadowing what will happen, that God will be the one to lead, that God's presence is the one that matters. But why is God's presence the one passing through this during this covenantal ceremony, the ratification of this agreement, this covenant? More on that later. And we have a summary then in verses 18 through 21 of this whole account. Verse 18, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Whew. God is promising. He is making a covenant. He is giving this land to Abram's family. He is doing it. 
So back to what I said at the beginning. How much of this is God? And how much of this is Abram? How much of this is dependent on this covenant that God is making versus Abram's obedience? Well, chapter 15 that we just read is the first part of this covenant. Next week, we're going to be in chapter 17, which is the second part of this covenant. And when you put them together, collectively, you have God's covenant with Abraham. But see, chapter 15 stresses the unconditional part of the covenant. In other words, chapter 15, this week, we're focusing on God's part in the matter. And then next week, we're going to focus on the conditional aspect. It's going to focus on the need for Abraham's obedience. Abraham still must obey. He can't just sit back and relax. God has responsibility for him, but we're going to get to that next week. But here in chapter 15, here's what you see. You see a sovereign God initiating and guaranteeing that there will be land, there will be offspring, which are both needed for a great nation to form, right? Making a covenant with Abram to guarantee that this will come to pass. So, I want us to spend the rest of our minutes this morning talking really about just two big points from this, from this passage we just read. The first one is this. You know what we see here? You know what we see in our own lives? God is the great initiator. God is the great initiator. Because back in chapter 12, guess what? God came into Abram's life. He speaks to Abram first. God sets this whole thing in motion. Look again at chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Abram didn't even know. God didn't even say where exactly the land was. He just came to this man living in this part of the world where there were tons of pagan idolatry and he chooses this man, this descendant of Adam, and says, hey, you, I'm choosing you. Just get up and come on, right? Genesis 15, verse 1. Look at this. God initiates the first part of this part of the story. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. The Lord is coming to Abram, right? Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward, your reward shall be very great. And then in verse 18, we see that this was a covenant the Lord made. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. So what has Abram done to deserve this kind of attention from God? Nothing. Abram has done nothing to deserve the grace of God giving him this special attention and bringing him into the story that he's unfolding. Abram has done nothing to deserve this. Abram was living in a pagan land when God called him, and after God calls him, Abram lied and betrayed his wife in chapter 12. We didn't even get to that part of the story because we don't have time to cover it, but you can go back and read it. Abram, after God called him, he's already sinned greatly. And guess what? He's going to make more big mistakes. So we quickly see, right? We, quick, we quickly see in this, this grand narrative 
that Abram is not doing anything to earn God's approval, to earn God's love. God is choosing Abram to play a part in this grand story. And those reasons ultimately are only known to God himself. God is the one initiating this new life in Abram. And the same thing is true for you. What have we done to earn God's special attention? And what have we done to earn His love? What have we done to earn His approval? In what ways do we deserve to be wrapped up in the beautiful grand story of redemption? In what ways do we deserve to play a role in the family of God at this church? In what ways do we deserve to be known by the Creator of all things, to be cared for by His love and provision? Man, what, a, what a comforting truth that is, isn't it? To know that God's love is not based on how good or bad I've been. To know that God's approval of you it's not like he's just up in heaven waiting with a few lightning bolts to strike you if you do something wrong. It's not like he's just up in heaven waiting with this grand basket of goodies to give you if you do something right. God's approval of you is not based on anything you've done or not done. God's approval of you is based on everything Christ has done for you in your place. It's only through the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice he made, the lamb that was slain, standing in our place that we even have Hope of knowing God the Father. But He initiates. When we were yet still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. God initiates salvation. What a comforting truth that is. Because there's no way in my sinfulness that I would ever want that. There's no way that you would ever want that either because you know what? We have the same problem our ancestors have we have the same problem adam and eve had we want to rule we want to rule over ourselves we want to do things that we the way we think they should be done we don't really want to answer to any authority except ourselves so god reaches down into the depths of our dark souls and says i choose you and i've got a plan for you get up and come on he calls us into his story he's the great initiator but the second thing we see in this story that's so beautiful is that God is the great guarantor. God is the great guarantor. You know, in our culture today, man, we hear that word guarantee all the time, right? 30-day money-back guarantee, right? Politicians, I guarantee that I'm going to do this if you elect me. The word guarantee is so overused in our culture, it, it's become closely associated really with just any kind of sales pitch, but let me tell you right now that this is not a sales pitch. This word carries heavy weight and meaning in the Bible. I want to show you that. In Genesis 15, 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces, right? And as I already said, this represents God's presence. But why is God's presence the one passing through this covenantal ceremony. Where is Abram? Why is Abram not walking beside God's presence through the ceremony? Because God 
is the one making this oath. He is the one guaranteeing that this plan will happen. It's on him. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, hey, buddy, this is on me. As Tom Schreiner notes, God is the one who walked between the animals. He and Abraham didn't walk through together. This was not a mutual deal. This was all God making a covenant. You see, our fear, our fear and our doubt over where we stand with God and, and all the, it, it leads to anxiety about our standing with God. We, we feel deep within us this need spiritually for a guarantee that we're okay with God, don't you? I mean, all of us. We struggle with doubting our salvation from time to time. Maybe, maybe that doubt is, is hinting at something very real, a real problem in your heart that you don't have a relationship with the Lord. But for a lot of us, we know, we, we know that the Lord loves us and we know we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and we've trusted Him to be our Savior. But maybe we've been caught up in a sinful pattern uh, or of, of behavior and, or maybe we've gotten just away from the Lord and spending time with Him in the quiet moments of life in His Word and in prayer. And what happens? Doubt starts drift or creeping in to our, our heads, right? And we start having a little bit of anxiety about our relationship before a holy God, that maybe he doesn't love me anymore. Maybe I've done so many bad things now that he doesn't approve of me anymore. Maybe the blood of Christ is no longer good for me. But there is always this need within us to know for sure that we know for sure we belong to God. We need a guarantee. And I want to give you that comfort in the Word of God. Hebrews 7.22, look at this. Hebrews 7.22 tells us that Jesus, Jesus Himself is the guarantor of a better covenant. A better covenant. There is a new covenant now. We don't have to sacrifice animals to atone for our sin we don't have to go through a priest or a confessional booth to tell him to talk to God for us. We have direct access to God because Jesus is our great high priest. So now we go directly to God through Jesus because he's the guarantor. When Jesus hung on the cross, he didn't say, it's beginning. He didn't say, I'm going to do most of this for you and you go the rest of the way. He said, it is finished. It is guaranteed. Sin had been defeated. Eternal life through Christ is guaranteed for those who put their faith in Him. But He also gives us a present helper. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 21 and 22. And it was God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit of God has been given to you as a guarantee that you belong to Him. You've been sealed with His presence in your life. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, here it is again, were sealed. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. How about that? You want a guarantee in your life? 
Know that the Holy Spirit of God, if you have repented of your sin and you have truly trusted Jesus to die the death you should have died for your sin, to pay that penalty, to stand in your place, if you've trusted His resurrection, that by the power of His name that He has over sin and death, He gives new life to your heart. That is salvation. And when you experience that salvation, God blesses you and gives you His Holy Spirit to live inside of you, to seal your heart forever it may say, I belong to God. It is the only guarantee that we can truly know that we belong to the Lord. If your doubt is in yourself today, that is understandable. I doubt myself all the time. But do not let your doubt be in the all-loving, never-ending, never-ceasing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ, your future is just as much guaranteed and secure as Jesus' future himself. Whatever Jesus gets, that's what you're getting. Jesus is going to inherit the world. He is going to be the great ruler and king. And guess what? You are going to be in that kingdom forever with him. That is guaranteed. And nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, as Paul says. And check this out. There's a legal reason this is true. Look at verse 6 again, chapter 15. There's a legal reason that all of this is true. Remember I told you the significance of this verse. Abraham, he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. God counted Abraham's faith as righteousness. Now, next week we're going to talk more about Abram's responsibility. About his faith. But what I want you to see here is that God credited his righteousness to Abram's spiritual account. That is the guarantee. There's a great exchange that happened on the cross when Jesus took his final breath. You know what happened? He acquired your sin. He took your sin on himself and in exchange... By faith in Him, you get His righteousness. He took your sin, gives you His righteousness, and credits it to your account. So when God the Father looks at us, He sees Jesus standing in our place. He sees His righteousness. God is the great initiator of our salvation and He alone is the great guarantor of our salvation. You could say it like the author, the author of Hebrews says it. Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Is this true for you today? If you walked into here today with doubts, and maybe that's just been a question that maybe you've had trouble articulating over your life as a Christian. How much of this is God? How much of this is me? Know this today.
that God is the one who initiated your salvation and he is the one who guarantees it. You don't have to live in this doubt. You don't have to have this overriding sense of fear and anxiety as to where you stand before a holy God. You can know for sure today, just confess this doubt to him. Just be honest with the Lord. He already knows how you feel. He knows what you're thinking. But just be honest to him and say, Lord, I have doubts. Would you help me believe and help me to remember the gospel truth that you have initiated this relationship, that you have guaranteed my eternal future, and I know it's secure. Pray and ask him to give you that assurance of your faith. But maybe, maybe the truth is you're hearing this gospel message today and the reality is you've never really, you've never really trusted Christ to be your Savior. You have never really turned away from your sin. You still think there's something in addition to God that you need in life. You still think that at the end of the day you, you really just want to answer to yourself even before God. Maybe you're okay with the idea of God. You're not an atheist. You're okay with this idea of God, but he's a God that you've created in your head that really submits to you instead of the other way around. Listen, if that's you today, I invite you to confess that to God because I know that he will stand waiting for you with his arms wide open to forgive you. He will forgive you for living that way, for thinking that way. If you truly trust him to be everything you could never be, he will wrap you in his arms and he will hold you forever. He will never let you go. His love is truly guaranteed. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can have real hope. Lord, that this guarantee is not a sales pitch. It's not conditional on how good or bad we are. Lord, it's unconditional love and grace based on how good you have been as our substitute in our place, Lord Jesus. So we thank you for living the life we could never live. We thank you for dying the death we, could, we should have died. And we thank you that you are alive, that you have resurrected from the tomb and that we have that same new resurrection power and life in us by your Holy Spirit, the guarantee, the seal of the covenant you've made with us. This new, this better covenant, Lord. So Jesus, we thank you for being our sacrifice, for being the initiator of our salvation and the guarantor that we need. Lord, I pray as we move into the rest of this story, as we look at the second part and the aspect of the need for our obedience after we know you, after we belong to you, Lord, would you give us great grace to understand these things next week. But today, Lord, let us stand firm on the assurance that you are God. You are the founder and perfecter of our faith. Let us know that today. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you for your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen.